first I heard about it is because we get hay locally over on Hastings Road. We had made a friendship with uh, Randy Hastings, who's right there on the corner of Hastings Road. And we were buying hay off of him, and he started growing a special type of hay for us because we have a breeding operation. We got one season out of it, and then in 2016 is when we started hearing that there's something going on. We got one more year, and then Randy quit doing hay because he sold out. I believe it was back in 2017. I was at Ferguson Hardware in Cherryville, and I was, you know, it's the gossip center for a lot of the men, and I was overhearing about this Piedmont Lithium Company had offered to purchase someone's farm for, you know, and they said it must have been an astronomical amount of money because they signed on the spot, but they will not, cannot disclose the amount. And I'm like, who is Piedmont Lithium? You know, what's, what's going on? In 2016, residents of Gaston County started to realize that the lives they built in a rural community 45 minutes outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, were at risk. A company called Piedmont Lithium was planning to build an open pit mine on land populated by family farms and country houses. And for this project, the company needed a lot of land. I'm Max Widman, and in this episode of Mining for the Climate, we'll look into how the idea of a mine becomes reality. What strategies does a mining company use to secure the land it needs to operate? How do long-term residents experience this process? And what happens before ground is even broken? My name's Locke Bell, 73 years old. I'm a retired elected district attorney here in Gaston County and I've been living on this land since bought it in 96, built the house in 98. We're sitting on Locke's veranda overlooking a big garden. Locke owns a lot of land in this area. He grows everything, corn, collards, pecans, heirloom apples, and even grapes for wine. A hundred years ago, everything here was farmland. Since then, forests have grown up. As we talk on Locke's veranda, we're sitting a few hundred feet from where Piedmont plans to blast lithium out of the ground. So uh, six, seven years ago, Lamont Leatherman sat right here on this veranda. He came to, he's the chief geologist and one of the major stockholders, and he was from Lincoln County. His father was a lawyer in the next county over, and I knew his dad Clarence. So I'm talking to Lamont, and he's telling me that they're going to start this thing, and they going to do a little bit of mining out here. It's going to be a small thing. And we talked, and he was throwing all these figures at me, and I'm going to, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, I'm not selling any land. Locke is describing a conversation he had with Lamont Leatherman, a Piedmont Lithium senior executive. Well, what I told him, I have a 24-acre track that I purchased in the back. And I said, here's what I will do. I said, uh, I will trade you the mineral rights. I'm not selling any land, but I will trade you the mineral rights on that 24 acres. I said, how much would you give me? And he's counting that land that they had picked up. And he said, we will give you, after we finish, 540 acres for the mineral rights. I said, that works. They'll give it to me as payment 
for my letting them mine. We haven't seen any documents concerning this offer, and we couldn't verify it happened. But according to Locke, this was a good deal. He would allow the company to mine an unused portion of his property, and he'd get back over 20 times the acreage once the lithium was extracted. And I said, uh, they talk about the drilling and how much they'd pay. I said, well, if you want to drill and find out what's in my, onto my land, hey, let's find out. No, no, no. You have to sign the contracts before we'll drill. So you decide whether to buy based on what you find. I got to decide whether to sell before we even know what it's worth. Come on. Um, I know much better. I've done real estate as a side thing for many, many years. Piedmont, Locke says, tried to buy his land without giving him an idea of the lithium's actual value. No one knows exactly how much resource lies underground in Gaston County, but with Piedmont projecting an estimated economic output of almost $4 billion in the first five years it operates, this land is potentially very valuable. And then he said, now you can't tell anybody this because we're telling everybody else they can't keep their land. Lots of the people out here wanted to keep their land. It had been the family for hundreds of years. Because the old agreements, you always kept the land. You had uh, Lithium Corporation of America. Before that, Borea. These were companies that mined lithium in the area until the 1980s, when corporations began to offshore lithium extraction to other countries. If you go back through the days, these all had mineral rights. And they would buy options on mineral rights. But you always got to keep armed. If they, if they mined it, you got your land. Fifty years ago, the established mining companies used land leases to mine lithium. They'd return the land after the resource was extracted. That model won't work with the much larger operation Piedmont has planned, but many of those who sold didn't realize the difference. So the people out here, the old-timers, thought that was the same deal. And they got really pushed. I think a number of them didn't realize what they were signing. These are these multi, multi-page contracts that have all this legalese in them that, as a lawyer, I would have to read the contract two or three times. Over the past few years, Locke and other residents have started to notice Piedmont using option agreements to take control of properties. Piedmont said in an SEC report that these contracts allow them to gain control over both the mineral rights and the surface property. They said that their options agreements, and I quote, generally provide us with an option to purchase the optioned property at a specified premium over fair market value. As Locke said, these can be complicated, lengthy contracts. For a lot of the folks in Gaston County, hiring an attorney or getting an independent appraisal is out of the question. We spoke with one resident who's read some of these contracts. He wanted to remain anonymous, so we'll call him Tom, and we'll be hearing from Tom at several moments throughout this episode. So typically, my understanding, there were three-year option agreements. You would sign it within any period of time. They could exercise it at their discretion, right? So you give up all of your rights. You lock into a price at that point, um, which you feel like is reasonable, and it was being based on the real estate, the improvements, irregardless of what was subsurface. And so a lot of these folks, it was a lot of money to them, right? And never in their wildest dreams did they expect somebody would actually act on it exercise it and you know take the property under option 
These complex contracts were not the only mechanism that Piedmont used to acquire thousands of acres. The more Locke heard, the more concerned he grew about the company that seemed to be changing his rural community. I started hearing from neighbors that people are getting harassed. Locke thinks that Piedmont's land buyers made the mine seem inevitable before the company had permitting or zoning. And when the company bought land on three sides of someone, landowners felt that selling was the only way to avoid the mine's impacts, like pollution and noise. Well, if you don't, we're just going to put the mine right outside your back window. They had a 50-foot backyard. The mine's going to be on the side of that. We're going to surround it. And the people were forced to sell. Locke said that as Piedmont gathered more property, they could pressure neighbors into selling it. The tactics that Locke and Tom have described are not specific to Piedmont Lithium. Tom showed us a document written by the activist Carlos Zorilla, who's involved in resisting mining projects in Ecuador. We can put up the Guide to Protecting Your Community, which is written for citizens to protect themselves against this exact situation. So this was published in 2009. This is a guide for community organizers. So everything that they have done is kind of tracked and followed very similarly in this guide, you know? It felt like I was reading our story. The guide describes 13 tactics used by mining companies to amass land holdings. Tactic number two involves the company finding a so-called local ally to host an initial open meeting. Um, I don't think they ever found an ally. Tom Tillis, who is the representative, right, from North Carolina, um, federal level, he is their ally now. But that didn't happen until 2022. He would be that person today. Tom says that one of North Carolina's senators serves as Piedmont's local ally, bringing a hawkish perspective on national critical mineral policy. Tillis sent some of his people there. Between first meeting where the public spoke out, second meeting where they took it off the agenda effectively, Tom Tillis apparently sent some of his folks and, you know, insinuated that this is a matter of, you know, U.S. security. You have to do this. You know, this is the only place. 80% of this rare mineral comes from China. And without this rare mineral creating a super alloy, none of our fighter jets can fly. So I think we all have to come together and recognize the economic value of this project. Okay. Moving on to the fourth tactic, creation of a false front organization. When Piedmont first bought property, they did so under a different name, Gaston Land Company. I will say there was a lot of confusion by local citizens. They kept looking to see something that said Piedmont Lithium was buying property. They don't understand that you set up multiple entities and you have Gaston Land Company. So that was very confusing to a lot of folks. Tactic six, purchase of critical land. They worked on several large families who owned large land holdings, and that's how they started to get the critical land mass. One of the first sellers didn't have a family connection. He had moved there and built this really nice house. Uh, it was on about 100 acres of land, and he didn't have any historical connection to the land. So he was probably one of the largest first 100 acre kind of sellers to sell to them. Tom says that Piedmont first approached the property owners who would be most willing to sell, the newcomers, the transplants. Tom thinks that once Piedmont acquired a critical amount of land in the community, the mining company was able to convince everyone else to sell. Tactic number seven, offers of service, projects, jobs. I mean, that could be 
city of Cherryville, right? Tom's referring to Cherryville's recent community development agreement with Piedmont. Cherryville, a city within Gaston County, relinquished zoning decisions for the small portion of the mine that falls within its boundaries. In exchange, Piedmont will pay the city $11 million over the next couple decades to supplement the city's budget. Residents widely viewed the agreement as buying off Cherryville's elected officials. In my opinion, the only way that Piedmont Lithium is finding support is to offer payoffs, donations, sponsorships, and anything else to attempt to buy the goodwill from neighbors and corporations. Tactic 10, company claims it's no use fighting. I do think that they used that with folks and said, look, it's here, if not us, someone will mine this, it's going to come out of the ground, it's going to be taken. Then you overlay Tom Tillis's folks, hey, it's gotta happen. They were told that if they didn't take their offer, you know, the government would take their land. I do think that, you know, the conversations have been very aggressive. I think they feel very pressured to sell. In Tom's opinion, Piedmont Lithium is following the mining company playbook. Many people who have sold their homes and their farms to Piedmont have moved away, but some remain in the area. We talked with one man who didn't want to leave his community. He asked to remain anonymous. We'll call him George. I didn't have no choice to sell out because they had bought every place around me. They bought all the way up to Cherubel now. They bought that big horse ranch right up here above where I live. They bought a lot of stuff. As established businesses and long-term residents sold, George got the message that he had to leave. He used to work in a mine, and he didn't want to be exposed to the noise if he stayed put. You know, you just can't live in the noise. You know, you know what I'm saying. You can't, I know I used to work in that one right over there when I was 18 years old, hauling ore out of the mine. George didn't tell us exactly how much he had made, but he said Piedmont had been generous. Even so, George had a hard time finding a new property in the area he could afford. But we couldn't find a place. House markets boomed, you know, we couldn't find nothing to buy. Everything come online, it was people out of state was buying it unseen, they're renting it out. You got this place? Have any place to go? Nowhere to go. George was forced to buy a small plot of land a bit further from the proposed mine. It's on a steep embankment and he's been moving dirt and rock to make it suitable for a house. When we spoke with him, he had just finished a 10-hour day laying cinder blocks. He's tired and feels like he shouldn't have to relocate at his old age. Been hard on me because trying to get all this cleaned off. I've been in the same place, you know, a long many years and then have to up and leave, and it's tough. When you get 70 years old, it's tough. I'm an old man. What makes life in rural Gaston County so attractive to those who won't sell out and those who've decided to stay put? Locke is one of the bigger landowners in the community. He has dreams for the land, which are now at risk with the proposed mine. My wife and I were very old when we got married, both been single for many, many years. We don't have children. We don't have any lineals that need anything. So I once have always wanted this to be a park. There's no park on the northwest part of the county. And I'd always been trying to shoot for about 200 acres. We went to see the land that Locke intends to donate to the county. Much of it lies just beside where Piedmont Lithium plans to build one of its mining pits. We saw the trees that would be cut down, the rocks that would be blasted, the landscape that could be forever changed. In the meantime, Locke is planning for the park. Hiking trails and a couple places to camp. If I could get it up to 200 acres, then like a recreation field. 
you know, where kids can come out and play soccer or softball, or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But mostly, I want people to be able to walk through woods like we're doing right now. Um, you've got people that live out in this area that they got, some of these people, the deed to the family actually came from the King of England. There are people in Gaston County who had the deed hanging in the living room with the King's signature on it. That's where their family got the land. You got Bruce up here and you got Dennis over here and they got their parents and their grandparents and it's, it's who they are. It becomes part of your identity. Um, they burned bees over here. Yeah, they just leave yeah. the ruins. This one they burned recently. So that one they burned. Here's a burned one over here. Yeah, they burned that one back there. I mean, I've got videos of them burning the houses. We're in the car with Tom. In the past one or two years, Piedmont Lithium has begun to demolish, move, or burn the empty houses on their newly acquired property. They're starting to clear the land in anticipation of building the mine. Piedmont says they use the house burnings to train local fire departments, but residents like Tom find the practice wasteful and threatening. Hey, you know, we saw all these burned out houses. Oh, let me tell you what a great story this is. We trained the volunteer fire department and blah, 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 blah. You know, but somebody could be living here. So they do this and they're like, oh, let me tell you about the Habitat house I built over in Belmont. And you're like, well, what about the guy in the trailer over here that you just you know, displaced? I mean, there's just house after house. I would argue they've done 30 of them probably. And they leave them this way to kind of scare everybody. It's a sacrifice. You live right here and they burn this house 100 feet from you and you sit here and watch this? It sucks, you know? You're gonna try to get out of here too. During a late spring burn, Locke's neighbors saw large embers float over his land. The embers are where, when they were burning a house a couple of weeks ago, the embers were floating. A lot of my neighbors saw the embers, giant embers floating through the woods and landing in their yard. Several neighbors, one of them showed them to me. I then found the embers in my front yard, probably a mile away. One of them is about 12 feet long by probably about eight feet wide. It floated over about a mile. We're burning everything down around you. We're coming in here. We're going to take over. We're going to do this. You better sell. It's almost like they're... Destroy anything that they can so it erases it so you have nothing to go back to. We forced you out. Now we've gotten rid of anything that was there. You have no reason to come back. Here's Rebecca Buck, another resident of the area, sharing her unique experience watching the fires and encountering Piedmont Lithium's employees. She hands us a bundle of documents that was given to her neighbor a couple of days before one of the burns. They ever notified anybody we're gonna do a burning here? On top, there's a letter from the Trionata Volunteer Fire Department in nearby Bessemer City. It warns of a training down the road from Rebecca's place. But paper clipped to it are a business card for Emily Winter, Community Relations Specialist for Piedmont Lithium, as well as a couple pages of promotional literature about the mine. So they gave these to the fire marshal with a letter. Here it is. Jimmy Johnson, Fire Department Training Chief, and came to their door and handed out this little thing here. Why is our fire department handed out publicity stuff? 
why are my public servants who I pay handing out this? I don't get mad about a lot of things, but I get mad about injustices. And when I'm a taxpayer and I've got a fire department that's handing out these. Rebecca was concerned about Piedmont Lithium's relationship with her county and town officials, so she decided to head over and watch the fire on that Saturday in March. So they were all ready, and it was this Emily Winter. She came up and asked me directly who I was and what I was doing and that sort of thing. And Oh, well, if you want to see, you can come up. We have front row seats and literature and that type of thing. They had cookies and coffee, and you could sit in the front row and watch them burn down a house and watch it burn. I would ask, what's going on here? they tell us, that, oh, well, we're doing this. And I go, well, how many have you burned? And as soon as I'd start to ask too many questions, then it was like another guy came up and said something and he immediately quit answering my questions. At this point, Rebecca decided to move to a nearby field to watch the burning. Then she says someone from Piedmont began to follow her. I was off to myself and had gone off to a field away from the house in the crowd and was filming. And my husband was watching from the truck across parked because he had dropped me off. And I asked him, I go, did you see that guy come up and try to intimidate me? And he goes, oh yeah, he says he pulled up there like he had a huge purpose and he wanted to walk as close as he could to make me feel intimidated. I felt that. There's somebody there watching me. And here I find out he's property manager, what he said was his, uh, his role. And, you know, I, wasn't ch- I was expecting to get chased off. I wasn't chased off. But when we did leave, we don't know who, but somebody pulled out. My husband said, we're being followed. Fearing for her safety, Rebecca decided to pull into a friend's driveway. And I go, well, then we're not going home. We pulled in, and then even from that time, we've gotten even more involved and more headstrong about it. For many residents of Gaston County, the fires were a turning point. The burnt-down houses motivated them to learn more about Piedmont Lithium, to take a stand to defend their community. But organizing in a rural county, one in which many lack basic internet access, is proving difficult. I wish we could get more commitment from the individual people. Some people don't want to come out public about it because it might ruin their chances to get a payoff. There's that. Other people don't want to be bothered because they feel it's inevitable. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. It's going to happen. You can do what you want. We'll put up a sign, but it's going to happen. And I keep telling people, this is not a done deal. It can't be. And I'll fight it. It's really hard. Here's Tom again. Because it's not like there's a community association. It's a lot of, there's a lot of family members that won't talk to other family members now. I mean, like, there's a hatred between you sold grandpa's land and I kept it and now I'm screwed or whatever. It's really hard. But what we've done when we've had these public meetings, we passed around sheets and collected emails and names and numbers. I've spent months putting together spreadsheets of everybody and then following with them, sending them letters saying, hey, are you interested? It's just, it's hard to to express how consuming the time is to do that. You can't do this till midnight every night and get up thinking about it every morning. As Piedmont Lithium makes its presence felt in the community, residents cast doubt on the company's intentions. Many locals wonder why Piedmont is buying so much land when the permit and zoning are not guaranteed. 
They question if the company is building its presence to sell stock. There's nothing there. There's, there's no substance. They're, they're an investment company trying to make money, trying to buy up land to show that they're going to make some money, and who knows what the, is going to happen to the land. Locke agrees. You've got some gigantic lithium deposits in America. This was the, you may say, the biggest vein of hard rock, but that does not make it the biggest deposit of lithium. Then you've got Thacker Pass, Arkansas. All of a sudden, all these other places. So 1,500 acres out here, oh, come on, that's small. If I were trying to push my thing, I would want to be bigger. So I start buying land. I don't care what's got lithium on it. Look, we're expanding, we're expanding. Some of it probably has lithium, but a lot of it, you just make yourself big. We now have 3,000 acres. We're a big dog. But it's just like, how much can you actually mine? It's always been the way of American business. Make yourself look big. People... Perception's reality. Locke told us that Piedmont Lithium's chief geologist raised the possibility of the company not mining the site themselves, but selling the land package to investors. The first time Lamont's out here, I said, so you're, you're buying up the mineral rights. I don't know if y'all are old enough to know, but George H.W. Bush made his money buying up oil mineral rights in Texas. He goes out to Texas and he buys up the mineral rights. And then the oil companies come along, dig the hole, boom! That's how he made his fortune. Um, you buy up the mineral rights. You have no intention of mining. And he admitted it. I said, so who are you selling to? He told me this sitting right where you're sitting. We've got somebody right now shopping it to the sovereign wealth nations in the Mideast. Lisa Strapp, a cattle rancher, has doubts about whether mining in the area is even possible. She says that the established mining companies passed on this area long ago. The giants of the industry today have already searched and actively mined these areas. If they didn't touch it, we felt pretty sure nobody else would because, you know, they're the experts. And I'm like, who is Piedmont Lithium? You know, what's, what's going on? Who is Piedmont Lithium? That's next in Mining for the Climate. Mining for the Climate is a co-creation of Nate Ogen and Juan Manuel Rubio, and is a production of Blue Lab at Princeton University. For their support and expertise, we thank, at Princeton, the High Meadows Environmental Institute, the Humanities Council, and the Office of the Dean of Research, as well as Cubenda Media. This episode of Mining for the Climate was written and hosted by Max Whitman and edited by Nate Ogen and Juan Manuel Rubio. Sound design was by Juan Manuel Rubio. Our research and production team includes Max Whitman, Alex Norbrook, Grace Wang, Nate Ogen, and Juan Manuel Rubio. Music for this episode was by Purple Planet. Find it at purple-planet.com. Additional music tracks are from Shake That Little Foot, and Prior Meadows. Mining for the Climate was made possible by funding from Blue Lab, the High Meadows Environmental Institute, and the Office of the Dean for Research at Princeton University. We would like to express our gratitude to the following people for their generosity and kindness. Amir Adaryani, H.L. Beam, Locke Bell, Ian Bigley, Rebecca Buck, Chad Brown, Brian Dalton, Wyatt Julien, 
Larry Neal, Monique Parker, Adam Parr, Thea Rio Francos, Aaron Sanders, Lisa Strap, Emily Winter, and Tom. At Blue Lab, we especially thank the lab's director, Allison Carruth, along with Baron Bixler, Maggie Pust, Jamie Collins, Jessica Ng, and Mario Soriano. At the High Meadows Environmental Institute, we thank Emily Amitage, Stacy Christian, Kathy Hackett, Nathan Jesse, Ryan Justice, Zach Cato, Heidi Mihalik, and Laura Matecha. And at the Efren Center for the Study of America, we give special thanks to Nikwisha Tolliver.